This is the second part in our series that we're doing on the Trojan horse of critical race theory. And if you would like to follow along, I think some of the guys in the back have um, handouts. And uh, I think they're going to come up and hand them to you. They have uh, the handout for today, and they're only going to give it to adults at this particular point because we have a limited number of handouts. But we also have about 25 handouts if you were not here the first time in the first segment of this that gives you the entire outline of our first one. So you can uh, let signal them, and they'll give you a copy of that as well. So just to make sure, and I have already filled in all the blanks, all you have to do is follow and listen. And all God's people said, Amen. all right, there we go. <laughs> That's right. All you have to do is just follow along and listen in regards to uh, what we have to say here. This is um, the second part in a three-part series on the Trojan horse of critical race theory. And you'll notice that we have all of our screens working for the very first time. Where we we're very happy about that. So that's, uh, that's exciting. We actually will be running announcements now from here on out on screens and stuff like that and, and, uh, and some other things. But this second installment here is really critical. If I were to identify a key threat to the church of Jesus Christ here coming up in the next 20, 25 years, it's got to be this issue. It's got to be this issue. In fact, as I was thinking about over the past 50 years uh, that our own pastor, John MacArthur, has been a part, uh, been our pastor here at Grace Community Church, and then back in the past when I was pastoring in Ohio, and now that I'm out here, I think that this is probably the greatest threat to the church of Jesus Christ that is out there now. In my time and in my ministry, this is the greatest threat. And it's critical that you understand this, this area. Here, we're very interested here in joint heirs in in kind of informing you as to what's going on in our culture and society today so that you can interact with it biblically and knowledgeably. We want you to be able to do that. I think That's part of our shepherding responsibilities as shepherds to help you, prepare you for the culture and society that you have. I know that's Tom's heart. It's my heart. And so addressing this issue has got to be um, significant. Um, I want to begin reading from a guy by the name of Michael Young. Um, Actually, his Twitter name is Wokel Distance. Wokel Distance Michael Young, he's a visiting fellow at the Center for Renewing America, and he's one of America's thought leaders. An interview that was done on February 9th, so it was a very recent interview where he was talking about woke and critical theory and critical race theory. Listen to what Michael has to say here. He says, critical theory says that the assumptions and presuppositions of our society rest on need to be, rests on need to be criticized ruthlessly, he said. And so that everything from reasoning, logic, beliefs, tradition, practices, anything that our society has produced needs to be critiqued along these lines. Now, if you think about postmodernism as being like a solvent or an acid, When you throw the acid onto a piece of metal, the metal doesn't evaporate like that. It takes time. The dissolving of objective truth isn't an overnight process, but it's been chipped away. It's been rusting slowly. Critical theory was made well-known by a group of neo-Marxist thinkers at the Frankfurt School in Germany. They forged a tool or discipline or way of doing analysis called critical theory. The underlying assumption of critical theory is that we are being dominated or oppressed by our society. So questioning the legitimacy of every single aspect of our civilization is deemed necessary to achieve liberation from all the oppression. A member of the Frankfurt School and philosopher Max Horkmeyer 
was famous for his work in critical theory and said that critical theory can't just have any direction of moral vision. The moral vision must be geared towards the emancipation, quote, of human beings. So he explained that um, the neo-Marxist starting point is the same, uh, is that some are oppressors and some are oppressed who need to be liberated from the existing patriarchal, sexist, straight, racist society. He's talking about you and me. And of all the people that are oppressed, they would say anybody that's attending a Christian church, they are being oppressed by what they're hearing. So I'm going to oppress you today. (laughs) All right. Take your Bible, would you please? Let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I really appreciate what David read earlier to kind of set up what we are doing today. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're interested. We'll drop in in verse 3. It says, and I know you're familiar with these verses, but they are really relevant and very salient to the discussion we want to talk about today. Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, verse 3, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking captive every thought captive to the obedience of, of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. You see that little phrase in verse 5 where he discusses the fact that we are destroying speculations. Basically, what he's doing is he's saying we are smashing ideas, that is, false religions as well as philosophies that are a part of the world and even psychologies and sociologies that are a part of this world that are blatantly anti-Christian, that are blatantly anti-Christian. That, that's critical. If you go over to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, excuse me, Colossians, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, read a little bit earlier. Let me go back there and remind you, he, Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. That philosophy is, um, is really love of speculative thought and musings that actually come from men. There's, there's what we have to be aware of. This is what we have to think about, especially in relationship to what is happening with critical race theory. Critical race theorists are the ultimate conspiracy theorists. Listen, they are the ultimate conspiracy theorists. As I read before, they believe that there is this massive worldwide global conspiracy and they want you to believe that it's occurring in order to oppress you. Most of you know Phil Johnson, dear brother, elder here at Grace, executive director of Grace to You Radio, says about the woke movement in our world today. Listen to what he says. Wokeism, satiates the religious cravings of the human spirit for people who have rejected conventional expressions of theistic worship. It has therefore become a current orthodoxy in the academic world and the official religion of secular society. It has also become a kind of plaything for evangelicals who crave the world's admiration and approval and who don't mind dabbling in syncretism. This is a frivolous and dangerous experiment, however, because no one who holds any real evangelical convictions can ever be truly woke. 
Too many of wokeism's cardinal tenets flatly contradict biblical principles. The truly woke are militantly pro-abortion, devoted to LGBTQAFL-CIO agenda. (laughs) That is so typical, Phil, isn't it? Rapid rabid socialists and high-handed secularists, pure wokeism is openly hostile to any whiff of evangelicalism. Openly hostile. And I think you've got to realize this. You've got to understand, this is everywhere now. It's in corporations. It's where you work. It's definitely coming out of major academic institutions and has been for a long time. Daryl Harrison. Daryl is a good brother here in Christ. He also is the dean of social media there at Grace to You Radio, and he has done more work on this area than anybody I know. He talks about the fact that his library consists of um, mostly theology, but the other half of his library is historical books on black slavery. All right, I don't know anybody that's read as much in that area as, as Daryl Harrison. And listen to what he says. He says, um, there is a movement afoot, particularly within black evangelical circles, to extol, if not exalt, social justice as the reaison de terre, that is, the most important reason and purpose for the existence of the church today, I say particularly because the aforementioned movement is not restricted only to the realm of black evangelicalism. The truth is, there's also certain elements within the white evangelicalism which, being motivated to some extent by a collective acquiescence to the idea of white guilt, have attached themselves to this movement like a caboose to a locomotive. The problem with movements, however is that they invariably beget labels, social gospel, liberation theology, and labels tend to subtly, though eventually, reorient our focus from that which is of utmost importance, namely the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ of the world to an ethnocentric gospel constructed from a collective worldview espoused by woke theologians and philosophers who are considered by many to be the most socially and culturally aware on matters of social and liberative justice. I know that's a long quote, but I think you get the idea if you are following on what's really going on here. What I would like to do today is highlight two areas that are really critical and help you to understand what they're really saying about these two particular areas from a woke perspective and then briefly critique these from a biblical perspective. One has to do with the concept of justice. This is a big thing. This is part of the delusion that's presented, the fact that they're interested in justice. And the other thing has to do with equity. That's the other part of the delusion. There is this idea that they are really committed to genuine equity. And what does the Bible say about that in contrast to exactly what they are saying in our culture and society today? So let's take a look at this if we can. First of all, we're going to take a look at the stealth attack that's on justice here. Um, There's no doubt that the whole, the woke and, and biblical Christians share a rhetoric and a desire for justice. No doubt about that. I mean, if you're a genuine Christian and you love the Lord with all your heart, you desire justice because all of that is part of an eschatological desire that we have eventually that Jesus Christ is going to bring ultimate justice to this world. Everyone loves to speak about justice, love, unity. But the question is, what is justice? What is love? What is unity? Uh, The way you... supply meaning to those words will determine whether you're genuinely a biblical Christian or you're woke. Look at it like this. Words are like freight cars. They pull up and you put your own baggage and freight on them, your own meaning onto those words. 
That's exactly what's happened with woke philosophy. They, their words are like freight cards. They use the words as part of the charade in order to be acceptable in public, but they load completely different meaning onto those words. The, war, wo, the woke worldview presents a very seductive illusion by suggesting that you should be for racial, racial equity, justice, and unity, while at the same time really concealing its deadly intent. That's part of the Trojan horse aspect of this. Now, the first thing I want you to understand is that this is part of that deceptive view of justice. The catchphrase of woke worldview is social justice. You hear it everywhere. It's in the media everywhere. It's on all the social media everywhere. You see it. And when you add an adjective to justice, it's perverted. Now, that's not my thought. I directly stole that from John MacArthur. Um, I heard him make that statement, and from everything that I was reading and everything that I was listening to and everything I was doing at that time in studying this, it made perfect sense. Why do you need to apply an adjective to justice? Those who do so are really trying to steal, in a sense, the honor and the virtue of justice and use it for their own twisted causes. Uh, Your own cause does not have the credibility to stand on its own, so you supplement it with a term that is acceptable among everyone. So this is really virtue stealing to legitimize your attitudes and your actions. It's an age-old con game. If you don't support the woke agenda, then you must support injustice. That's the way the analogy goes. If you don't support the woke agenda, You must support injustice. Well, social justice means recognizing and eliminating unjust social power dynamics in every part of society that principally comes from white privilege. Now, this, in a sense, is the core idea. That's the core idea behind it. You heard from the earlier quote by Michael Young about the fact that this is part of the oppression that is global. Um, the, the concept is that power is in the control of the oppressors and it must be totally annihilated. Whites and all those who disagree with cr- the crit agenda, and they, by the way, they call them CRT, they call themselves crits. So I'll refer to them the way they refer to themselves, crits. The crits agenda, all right? Support white privilege, Let me say it again. Whites and all those who disagree with the crit's agenda support white privilege, no matter what the color of your skin. Uh, This has evangelical pastors all over the world and even around our country repenting of their white blindness. Repenting of their white blindness. I've just, I've been white and I've been blind all this time and I didn't even know I was blind. No wonder when I get up in the night, I trip over things. (laughs) But that's the idea. Um, it, it, It matters very, very little whether or not a person expresses the fact that they really love other people, no matter what their skin color may be. It matters very little about that. You, you still, they're going to assert, and this comes out of critical theory, which later on becomes critical race theory, that you are still guilty of white supremacy, no matter what. Now, the very fact that you would come to a church like this, no matter what your color of skin, means you're ba- basically white at heart, and you're part of the oppressors. You're, you're one of the oppressors. So, thirdly, we would say this, that legal institutions and courtrooms, they, they strongly assert this, must remove retributive justice, that is, holding evildoers culpable, and replace it with reparative justice, that is, humane laws of equality. Now, this is such a big thing, and this is one of the reasons why you see amazing things coming out of our courts today, because there is a decided effort to replace 
retributive justice with reparative justice, okay? You say, what do you mean by that? Well, it doesn't matter whether someone has committed a crime against you. They should not have to pay for their crime. That's retributive justice. If they are part of a class of people that crits define as being oppressed, instead, the victim actually should pay the criminal because of past centuries of previous oppression. That's reparative justice. That's reparations, the victim. So you would have to pay somebody who assaults you or steals from you because of century-old oppression. You would have to do that. That's reparative justice. The argument runs something like this. Native American Indians receive large amount of land grants by the federal government for the previous ways their forefathers were treated. The Treaty of Versailles imposed heavy reparations and restrictions on Germany. The U.S. government eventually distributed reparations to Japanese Americans who had been interned during World War II. Therefore, any oppressed people, especially black Americans, are owed reparations for their ancestors' slave labor in building this country, and they should not be held accountable for their criminal activities. That's part of reparations. Well, indeed, countries and governments have had to pay reparations for oppressed people and what they have done in the past, but this is the first time in history that reparations are determined based on how much melanin is in your skin. First time in history. What do we do with whites who were enslaved in the past? Plenty of evidence of that. What are we going to do with blacks who enslaved blacks in the past? There's plenty of evidence of that. It becomes a very complicated question that is made more complicated by the philosophical ideology that drives the whole woke, crit, intersectionality agenda. Drives the whole thing. What's really going on here? Well, I want you to understand that what is happening here is really coming from what happened. All right. Yeah, this is, this is not on your paper. That's the problem. <laughs> it wants to do it. Did I overload it? Let me see. That's strange. All right, let me see if I can get this uh, to work here. Yeah, yeah. Let's see what happens here. Let me do this real quickly. And... Hey, there we go. Oh, did it go away? Wait a minute. But it's there? There it is. <laughs> I think crits have infiltrated my system. I think this is what happened. Yeah. <laughs> I'm oppressed now. That's exactly right. <laughs> For some reason, this is... All right. I'm going to put that right up there without... All right. You can kind of see it. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. All right. Uh, let me see if I can get, get this larger for you. The less screen's working. 
the left screen's working, nothing else is working. This is really strange. Okay, this is the first time we used it, and I was so happy with the fact that this was functioning, but it doesn't. So everybody needs to turn around, look at the back. <laughs> All right, you can see it on that side a little bit. Oh, well. This really is a philosophy that comes from Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, because um, social justice here, notice what they're saying. Because of our present institutions uh, derive their delegated authority from God, these institutions like individualism, family, church, state, must first be deconstructed and stripped of their authority in order to fully eliminate God from society. You see the agenda? In order to fully eliminate God from society. There is a fundamental understanding of what the agenda is. That's, that's it. Do you want to take that picture? Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me see if I can get this back up without. Uh, let's see if we can get this up. We left it. Well, if it doesn't show, it doesn't show. You want to put it on that screen? <laughs> you have to plug it into the back of the, oh, there we go. All right, let's see what this does. You just had to kneel here. All right. Oops, what, it went away. All right. Full screen, it goes away, right? <laughs> you can see my email. Can you see that? All right. Well, not going to touch that. Okay, there we go. Did it show up over there? Yeah, that's really strange. It's not handling PowerPoint very well. Okay, anyhow. Um, now, I want you to understand that this is really, this, this reflects our present society today. It's really a neo-Marxist approach to society and culture. Namely, the whole goal here is to eliminate God from all of society. Historically, when governments have clearly mistreated certain groups of people, and sometimes reparations were made, but now reparations are expected of individuals based upon their skin color, the assumption is that certain levels of melanin in the epidermal skin cells automatically make a person guilty of past atrocities of slavery. Therefore, reparations are demanded. Did, did whites benefit from past slavery? Absolutely. But so did many blacks and browns. To listen to Critz teach, you would think that America was the worst offender in the slave trade. Actually, uh, in the Americas, the number one offender, based upon the number of black slave ships that came from Africa, the number one offender is actually the nation of Brazil. And of all the Americas, actually, the United States was eighth on that list. Eighth. So it was not the worst offender. Um, but you would think that that would be the case. And actually, that did not come from my own research. That actually came from Daryl Harrison, who has some excellent research on this. So really, what's going on? The real agenda is not really 
to help blacks or any other group deemed oppressed. It is to deconstruct society, destroy capitalism and Christianity, rebuild an atheistic, social, communistic society. That's the ultimate goal. And it has achieved a lot of success. So the fourth thing you can see on your handout there, the evils of an unjust society are seen in disparities between groups which lead to inequities and injustices. This is the belief that promotes class warfare. The rich oppress the poor. Whites oppress black. Men oppress women. The straight oppress the LGBTQIA. Adults oppress children. The abled oppress the disabled. Christians oppress all other religions. This is what they're saying. The objective, then, is not real unity, but to conquer by dividing. Everyone is set against everyone else. Every person can find a category by which they can claim being victimized and being oppressed. According to the woke philosophy, inequities and injustices will be eliminated once totally uniformity is achieved and the communist state is realized. Number five, being justified then or saved for woke Christians, which is an oxymoron, a woke Christian. That's an oxymoron. It's like jumbo shrimp, all right, or military intelligence, all right? It's an oxymoron. It does not go together, okay? That's the problem. Um, But for woke Christians... This, this um, means taking up the cause of social and racial justice. Over the past two decades, numerous Christian books have been published endorsing wokeness to one degree or another. Books like Divided by Faith, written by Michael Emerson and Christian Smith, one of the Gospel Coalition's top recommended books for reading in 2016. Gospel Coalition. Books like White Awake by Daniel Hill, 2017 or Woke Church by Eric Mason, published by Moody Press, 2018, or The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby, 2019, and many, many others. That's just a short list. Betraying, each one of these books, betraying the evils of white supremacy and pressing for more white guilt in Christian churches. So, salvation now is to be awakened to your own racial guilt, publicly repenting of that, pressing forward to champion the cause of social justice. That's salvation. Salvation now is completely and totally redefined. Everything's redefined. Now, the attractiveness of this delusion of seeking justice is what is so deceptive, but what they are seeking is not what Scripture would say justice is. Let me comment upon that just a little bit, if we can. We still have something up there. All right, we want to talk a little about a divine view of justice here. Uh, One Christian commentator makes this statement. We cannot assume that because woke leaders and activists use biblical language and even cite biblical teaching, that the case they make is a sound one. Some assume that worldly justice and biblical justice are basically the same. Others know of the differences, but do not want to risk the world's scorn, end of quote. Now, as I mentioned in the previous message that I did on the woke gospel, it is really a perversion of the true gospel. Let me go back to a quotation that Phil Johnson makes, speaking of John McWhorter who is professor of linguistics, comparative religion, music history, and Americana at Columbia University and has been pointing out since at least 2015, Johnson says, that woke anti-racism is a religion. He says this. McWhorter says, when someone attests to his white privilege with his hand up in the air, palm outward, The resemblance to testifying in church need not surprise. Here, the agnostic or the atheist 
uh, American who sees fundamentalists and Mormons as quaint, reveals himself as all things, uh, of all things, a parishioner. So really, it is a religion and a false gospel. Real justice cares about hatred, misery, injustice, but sees it not as a result of skin color, but of sinful rebellion against an absolutely holy God. The saving grace of Jesus Christ is the only answer. Christians are to be deeply concerned about the issues of injustice, but not the way that social justice is defined by the woke. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Grab your Bible. Let's go over there for a moment. Rabbinical teaching said these were basically the nine activities of repentance. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Isaiah challenges the Jewish people. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Now, there's nothing in there whatsoever about skin color. Nothing in there about that at all. It's, it's about looking out for those that are genuinely less fortunate, whatever skin color they may be, or whatever skin color you may be. The second thing is, you, so you understand that a biblical view of justice is addressing a world filled with hatred, misery, and injustice with the gospel. But the second thing is that justice is maligned and perverted when it's turned into showing favoritism to any class of people, even to the suffering. Even to the suffering. Exodus 23 and verse 3 says, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. We're not even supposed to be partial to a poor man. Or Leviticus 19.15, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. End of quote. James chapter 2 and verse 1, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Later on in verse 9 of James chapter 2, he says, but if you show partiality, you are committing a sin and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. So when it comes to justice, as defined by Scripture, there is no room for partiality or favoritism, even to those who are less fortunate. That's biblical justice. The third thing that's key here is that God's character and nature is impartial. God's character and nature. This is the very substance of who he is. So anybody that questions that or redefines it now is trying to redefine God and trying to redefine his nature. We would really not know what true justice is if it were not the fact that God reveals what it is. Everything else is conjecture. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 17. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality or take a bribe. Now, here's a perfect example of dealing with an oppressor of a different ethnic origin who was hated because of a privileged occupation. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 34, you remember this is Peter. Peter dealing with the household of Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion, and he was actually high up in the Roman uh, army, and he was despised among the Jews greatly because he was part of the occupying force of, of Israel and Jerusalem. And notice in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, 
If there ever is an example of dealing with an oppressor of a different ethnic origin, it would be Cornelius, who was hated because of his privileged occupation. Peter says in verse 34, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. So the Spirit of God was poured out on him, and that way Peter and the rest that accompanied him knew that Cornelius was genuinely saved. Peter does not demand of Cornelius reparations because of all the terrible things the Roman army had done against the Jews. He doesn't demand any kind of reparations or repentance of his Roman white guilt. Doesn't demand that. Because there are decades of past atrocities from his fellow Roman soldiers against the Jewish race. Peter doesn't demand any of that, but he does preach repentance toward God for his rebel sinfulness against the holy God. As Paul says later on in Romans 2 and verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. There's no partiality with God. The fourth thing that I think is key here is that you understand that woke's application of social justice goes to war against God's natural creation. It goes to war against it. The way social justice intersects with other types of people who are considered oppressed violates God's original created design. It's really an assault against God's original creation. Let's see if we can make this work here. Let's advance the slide. You can see this. This is taken straight from a Black Lives Matter website. This is what they say. Justice, as imagined by its um, organizers, is not only about ending racism. Visions of true justice must include freedom for black people who are queer, transgender, formally or presently incarcerated, undocumented, or facing any number of other challenges. That throws the door wide open. That throws the door wide open. No wonder. Paul says, they have given themselves over to degrading passions by defining multiple types of of sexual deviancy and mutilization through sex reassignment surgeries for transgenders as being just. Essentially, they deny and reject the original creation in order to indulge in self-gratification and self-definition. But God is always just. But they wish to promote the implicit idea that he is an unjust God because he created them this way It's unfair, and it's inequitable. So Romans 1, 26 and 27 is just as true, where Paul says, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women engage the natural function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way also the men abandoned their natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts, and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And then you skip down to verse 32. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they do not, they not only do the same, they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So there's a radical difference between what crits say is justice and what the Bible says is justice. There's a second area that I want to look at, and that is the area of equity, the area of equity. And we want to take a look at the way in which they defined it. There is a stealth attack on equity here. And this is a very deceptive view of what equity is. According to woke thought, equity is not the same thing, or I should say equality is not the same thing as equity. Equality means everyone has the same resources, the same opportunities, but equity is insuffi- equality is insufficient when the goal is farther away. 
So equity provides more resources for those less fortunate. They're given more to put their goal within reach. A very common illustration of this, when you read, it's like two people that go to an apple orchard and they go to pick apples. One person is on one side of the tree and the other one's on the other side of the tree. And they both have the same size of ladder. The problem is the one side of the tree, the apples on that side are closer to the ground so the ladder's very useful. The other side of the tree, the apples are higher, so the ladder's not as useful. So you have to give, equity would say, you don't give them the same ladders. You give the person whose the apples are farther away, bigger ladders, more advancement, if you will. That's what you do in order to be able to pick the apples. Of course, I would say, just move to the other side of the tree where the other guy is. <laughs> All right? But... Just give them a bigger ladder is the idea. Um, So number one here, stamping out inequity means elevating the rights of minorities above others and dissolving all differences. Uh, This is the reason minority students entering universities do not need to meet the rigorous academic standards other students do. This is why women in the military do not need to meet the physical fitness standards that men do. This is why some corporate employees with less experience and abilities can be promoted over others who do. Equity demands this. They're not looking for fair treatment here. They're looking for favorable treatment. See the difference? It's not fair treatment. It's favorable treatment. Secondly, woke equity is an imagined utopia where all resources are distributed disproportionately, that's the key word, to the oppressed and managed by a few politically powerful elites who are crit savvy. Who are crit savvy. The idea of disproportionate distribution and allocation is beginning to dominate every level of society. Some of you probably know this. A UCLA accounting professor suspended last year for refusing to grade black students differently than white students is now suing the university, saying that he was punished for treating students equally. In spring 2020, shortly after the death of George Floyd, which is that big rallying point there, students who identified themselves as non-black allies of their black peers emailed Klein saying that they wanted him to exercise compassion and leniency with the black students in our major. According to a report by Insider Um, higher education, Klein responded to the students saying that he would not adhere to their demands. And he ended his response by quoting Martin Luther King saying, King believed people should not be elevated based upon their color of skin. He then challenged the students asking him if they believed that their request aligned with Martin Luther King's beliefs. That is still an ongoing battle in court. Why? Because this very thing on equity. Thirdly, they advocate that the greatest danger to racial equity and inclusion is not actually white supremacists, but churches with a significant number of white people. Whoa. Most crits believe that churches advocate white blindness. These churches are the big culprits, according to them, Ibrahim Kendi, who's the leading proponent of crit thought, says white supremacy is incubated in places where ordinary people gather, churches, where ordinary people gather. Every church must be decontaminated from its white privilege. Hmm. Fourth, let's see if I can get this to work. There we go. Four, socialism's idea is to level society so that everyone starts from the same conditions of life. But in order to do so, you've got to understand, certain groups of minorities who are oppressed must be granted additional help and resources in order to achieve the real goal of equity. Capitalism is the real enemy here. Capitalism is the enemy that has brought about inequities in society, and it must be replaced with socialism. Number five. No one is permitted to excel because to do so would mean taking away opportunities and resources from other people. Now, that's a key thing. No one's really permitted to really excel. This is especially true of those who are already in the privileged status. 
For example, in Africa, tribal belief was that anyone who excelled too much robbed other people of good. So so mediocrity becomes the norm. In socialist Australia, it is called the tall poppy syndrome. Any poppy that grows too high or above the others needs its head cut off. The tall poppy syndrome. Number six, woke activists want to destroy the free market and replace it with a state-controlled system that is run on social equity. It's believed that the free market has brought so much inequity with the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer. The only way that this is remedied is for the federal government to assume control and distribution of wealth. Now you're beginning to see that wokeness does envision an entirely different world order where not only people are treated with equity, but all countries are treated with equity. For them, the U.S. should surrender its wealth and it should be distributed to less developed countries, even if those countries are enemies. In other words, the U.S. needs to level out all of its goods, its technology, its agriculture, and everything, and distribute it to other less fortunate countries. We haven't seen that yet, but it's coming. Number seven, fairness and equity should govern the public order, extending to a severe reduction in the use of Earth's resources and man's contribution to climate change. Wow, you knew that was going to fit in somewhere, right? Again, corporate America has destroyed the environment. Equity includes plans to stop and reduce global warming. The desire for the government to eliminate fossil fuel vehicles and replace them with electric vehicles is a woke goal. This will enable the government not only to clean the environment, they say, but the hidden agenda is they want to control how far you travel. They want to control how far you travel. You'll be called a racist if you support fossil fuels. You're a racist. I'm going to hold on to my truck as long as I can. (laughs) Amen. Tom and I have F-150s, and those, my wife says it's my idol, but I don't think it is. Yeah. <laughs> what is the divine view of equity? God's view of equity, obviously, is completely different from the woke doctrine. Human differences are, by God's design, enriching to the human experience, not a detriment. We've got to start here. God created mankind with different abilities, different gifts, different levels of intellect, Everyone by design is not the same. This enriches the human experience. The sinfulness of the human heart has often elevated these differences to cause some to suppress others and oppress others in wicked and selfish ways. But the differences as created by God are really good. God is not fair, but he's always just. If he were fair, everything and everyone would be uniformly the same. If if he was fair, we would... I'll go to hell if he was fair. Praise God he's not fair. We would all go to hell. God did not intend everyone to be the same or to possess the same. Failure to accept this shows a sinful distrust in God's providence. 1 Timothy 4.4, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. There you go. If it is received with gratitude, it's not. This includes time, situation, and place that each person was born. That's the idea. Secondly, Scripture defines equity, uh, uprightness, and is under, as, as uprightness, and is understood as the spirit of the law behind the law, while justice is the application of the spirit of the law. Equity is a concept that is never used in Scripture as providing a disproportionate distribution of resources to ensure an equal outcome. But equity in Scripture is always related to God's laws. Understanding them and implementing them according to the intended purpose, woke equity has no absolute standard. They're trying to get rid of objective standard. Their intention is to achieve a human goal, not God's goal. Psalm 58 and verse 1 um, asks the important question in the Legacy Standard Bible. It says, 
Do you judge with equity, O sons of men? That's a great question. Do you judge with equity, O sons of men? Proverbs 17, 26. It is not good to find the righteous nor to strike the noble for their uprightness. This is what happens when the woke try to lay the sins of previous generations at the feet of those who may or may not be genetically related based upon melanin levels. Justice is turned back. Isaiah 59, 14 says, and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the street and uprightness cannot enter. Woke equity cancels justice. It cancels it. True instruction was in the mouth and the uprightness. Malachi 2 and verse 6 says, was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. This verse is speaking of Aaron as a high priest. Unlike the priests of Malachi's day, Aaron loved the Lord and fully lived a life of equity so that, and that's also what he taught. Equity meant living according to God's law, practicing the spirit of the law. Thirdly, churches are a serious threat to woke equity if they are awake to its deception and willing to follow biblical principles. And this is where one area where we may be actually in partial agreement with wokeness. Biblical churches that are interested in genuine holiness, knowing and willingly reject the notion of woke culture, first, because it brings no glory to God, and second, because it is extremely harmful to people. But as Matthew 22, 37 through 39 says, we need to, there needs to be true love of God and others. It means that Christians will follow equity that is biblical, not equity that is defined culturally. Number four, equity is the biblical, uh, equity that is biblical understands that Yahweh ordains and actively directs the birth and the course of man's life. Now, there's so much we could say about this, but we're running out of time. This means that the difference between contentment and discontentment in life is huge here. Woke believers are in for a rude and real awakening. Why? Because they seek to achieve in this world something that will bring no satisfaction. Why? Because real satisfaction is an internal condition, regardless of external circumstances. It involves finding peace with our sovereign God who controls and directs all of our lives. A believer is at peace with that because they are at peace with him. Jeremiah 10, 23, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his path. Number five, in God's kingdom, godly person who excels becomes a great blessing to others instead of being envied. So in the kingdom of God, if a righteous person really, truly excels, they will be a blessing to others. In this world, if an unrighteous person excels, it will be at the expense of others. Excelling is not the problem. It is the heart of the person that is the problem. And this is something that is constantly missed when it comes to wokeness. Number six, often the free market is run by sinful and greedy men, but it does provide vastly greater opportunities than a government market served, serving God and others. So once the power of the marketplace is surrendered to the government, it becomes an, a tool of oppression itself. In a free market, competition provides for not only cheaper products, but also accountability. This is what the marketplace needs. It is its own check and balance system for fraud, theft, misrepresentation. And there is no oversight, ultimately, in a national government with all the concentrated power over the marketplace. That's not going to happen. So much more we can say about that. Number seven, fairness and justice will someday reign with Jesus Christ in the new heavens and new earth. There we go. That's what we're looking for, right? This is something that wokeness ignores or cares little about. This present world will be no more. Psalm 98 and verse 9 says, Before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth, he will judge the world with righteousness and his people with equity. He will do that. I skipped over a lot of stuff, but... 
you got the basic core idea. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for <laughs> your love for us. You are the one who provides us with genuine objective truth by which we can evaluate the world and the life that is around us. Um, woke philosophers, crits, are never going to come close to providing anything that's even near to what you provide. And ultimately, you guarantee that justice, genuine justice, uh, justice that is defined by your standards, by biblical truth, and genuine equity will prevail. And we look forward to that day, new heavens, new earth. Help us to be faithful to you. Until then, this we pray in Christ's name, amen.